Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Ritman Grace Podcast. We hope that it will encourage you as you seek to follow God and grow in your faith. If you would like to know more about our church, you can check us out at www.ritmangrace.org or feel free to email us at ritmangbc at aol.com. But for right now, let's get into today's message. We're starting a new series today called Unstoppable. That is exactly what the Church of Jesus Christ is. It is unstoppable, as we're going to see today and in the ensuing weeks to come. The book of Acts is what we're using to kind of walk through this study together. Acts is a book of the New Testament in our Bibles. It is written by a guy named Luke. Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke. We have our four Gospels in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So Luke obviously wrote the Gospel of Luke, but he also wrote the book of Acts. And the best way to think about it is kind of like a two-volume set, volume one being the Gospel of Luke, volume two being uh, the book of Acts. And so today, as we kick off this brand new series, Unstoppable, we're going to be looking at one of uh, the greatest, and possibly at the same time, one of the least understood and appreciated events in the life of Jesus Christ. And here's what I mean by that. Uh, We celebrate the birth of Jesus at Christmas, as we will here in a few months. We celebrate uh, the birth of Jesus at Christmas. We meditate on Jesus' death on Good Friday. And then we sing about his resurrection on Easter Sunday. And then we look forward to his second coming in glory. But if there's one event that is forgotten in the life of Jesus, it's his ascension. And I think that there's a pretty obvious reason for that. It's because the ascension marks the departure of Jesus' physical presence from this world. He's going to continue to be with the disciples as he's promised by the Holy Spirit. But after the ascension, Jesus will no longer be physically present as he had been with them in the previous three years. So he's leaving now. And somehow it almost kind of seems inappropriate to get too excited about someone going, someone leaving. And as everybody who has ever said um, a long-term goodbye knows however well you're prepared uh, for something like that, it it never really comes easy when you get down to the moment of saying goodbye. And I've been through that experience uh, repeatedly. Uh, There was one time in 2012 when I decided I wanted to move to Spokane, Washington in the Pacific Northwest uh, to go to Bible college. There was a Moody Bible Institute out there, so I felt the call to go, and so I went, and I had to say bye to some people, and that was hard to do. And another time was not too long ago, in 2019, when I uh, completed my residency at the Grace Church Medina East Campus. Um, I had to say goodbye to some people there, you know, after seven years of of ministry. And, uh, you know, Medina's really not that far away, but, you know, we just knew we weren't going to see each other as much. And in other instances as well, uh, there's just been like a number of folks that we Uh, we would keep in touch over the years as we have, but it just wouldn't be the same as being physically present. And it's fascinating how people have different ways of saying goodbye. Uh, Some of us are better with goodbyes than others of us are. And uh, when the moment comes, like I said, it's usually never easy. And maybe you can identify with me in that regard. Uh, For some of us, you know, maybe you've gone through, uh, you know, sending your kids away to college, right? Raising them the best that you can, preparing them over the years. And now it's time to say goodbye, at least until Thanksgiving. And then others of us, maybe it's moving to another town, moving to another state. 
And with that comes saying goodbye to uh, your neighbors, to your coworkers, to your bosses, and maybe your employees. Like I said, when it comes down to the moment, it's usually never easy. Now, it's for that reason that I mentioned that we're going to turn our attention to actually Luke's gospel in uh, chapter 24 of Luke's gospel. And you might be thinking, well, Luke, I thought we were going to go through the book of Acts. Well, like I said earlier, Luke wrote the book of Acts in order to understand the beginning of, uh, or Luke wrote the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. If we want to understand the beginning of Acts, we have to look at the end of Luke. So in Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 51, we read it earlier. I believe these are some of the most surprising words that we find in our Bibles. Luke chapter 24, verse 51, it says this, while he was blessing them, oh, excuse me, I don't know what that was. Uh, while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. And then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem. And here's the part that I believe is probably one of the most unexpected phrases in our Bibles. It says, they returned to Jerusalem, here it is, with great joy. With great joy. I'll tell you, after I left for college, you know, if my folks like went and threw a big party after I left, that would have been a little bit strange, don't you think? So Jesus is gone, and they go back to Jerusalem, and the text tells us, with great joy. And it's even more strange when we remember that Jesus had previously spoken to his disciples about his leaving, and he spoke about this at great length at the Last Supper. And you might remember when he spoke to them about it, they were absolutely horrified at the idea of Jesus leaving. But now, when it actually happens, we find the disciples, the Bible says that they were filled with great joy. So something must have happened, so that the thing that they once dreaded now became something to celebrate. And that's what I want us to discover in our Bibles this morning. I want to talk about three reasons that the ascension of Jesus should be celebrated. So let's follow the story together from Easter onwards. Uh, we're going to start in Acts chapter 1, verse 3, and we're going to flip between Luke chapter 24, Acts chapter 1, because, like I said, Luke and Acts are really just kind of volume 1 and volume 2. So in Acts chapter 1, verse 3, Luke tells us this. After his suffering, he's talking about Jesus, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. So notice he tells us that he appeared to them over a period of 40 days. Uh, we read about these appearances in our four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then also in Paul's first letter to the Corinthian church in chapter, chapter 15. And then Luke tells us, notice the purpose of these appearances as well. Notice he says, convincing proofs that he was alive. That's why these resurrection appearances occurred. And it was important that the fact of the resurrection should be established beyond all reasonable doubt. So Christ appeared not once, not twice, but repeatedly. In fact, there was nine or ten distinct occasions when Christ appeared to the disciples either to one of them or all of them, or on one occasion, the Apostle Paul tells us, to a group of 500 people who were still living at the time, he wrote about them so that they were able to 
witness to the fact. And these appearances occurred intermittently over that 40-day period. But then after the ascension, um, after the ascension stopped, uh, these, these uh, appearances, and then the sudden ending of these appearances is one of the clear evidences that this was not something that was going on inside the heads of the disciples because hallucinations gradually fade. They don't just suddenly stop. But the New Testament witnesses of the resurrection appearances is that they occurred over a period of 40 days and they stopped. And then Luke tells us the second reason for these appearances they were not only to give convincing proof of the resurrection of Jesus over a significant but defined period of time, it says that he appeared to them over 40 days. And notice what he did. He spoke about the kingdom of God. He spoke about the kingdom of God. In other words, the resurrection appearances of Jesus were not only to demonstrate the truth of the resurrection, but they were to prepare the disciples for the work of the kingdom, which now lay ahead of them. And then during these teaching occasions that Christ gave to his disciples, they had a new level of understanding that they didn't have before. Previously, they had thought of the cross as this unmitigated disaster. And now they saw that it had all happened exactly as God had planned for it, for their good. And it's interesting that Christ was not with them constantly throughout the 40 days. There's kind of a pattern that we see Jesus appears, he teaches, and then he disappears. He appears, he teaches, and he disappears. In other words, what he's doing is he's weaning them away from their dependence on his physical presence. If you think about it, for three whole years, the disciples, right, they've seen miracles performed by Jesus. They've been able to talk directly face-to-face -face with Jesus. They have faith, but their faith is built on sight. And now they have to learn faith that is not based on sight during that 40-day period. Jesus transitions them from one to the other. And he gives them the opportunity to get used to trusting him without seeing him, gradually. He prepares them for what's coming. So again, we see that pattern that Jesus appears, he teaches, and then he disappears. He's kind of gradually kind of weaning them away from their dependence on his physical presence. Then after 40 days, they're on top of the Mount of Olives, the place that they had been on Palm Sunday. And so you might remember they come down the hill into the city and to all the horrors of the crucifixion. But now they're back on top of that same mountain. And this time he doesn't look down for what he did down in Jerusalem on the cross. That has now come to pass. That's finished and that's complete. Now he goes up and he ascends into the presence of the Father. That's the ascension. And Luke makes it abundantly clear to us in verse 9 that they saw him go. It says that he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. And this was different from those resurrection appearances where Jesus would just vanish. This time they saw him go right before their very eyes and it was then clear to them there wasn't going to be any more resurrection appearances. So the 40 days was over, the transition was complete, and the evidence that had been given and the training that they had been given, that has been concluded as well. And now Jesus ascends to the Father, and now we walk by faith and not by sight. 
So then we're told that they returned to Jerusalem, as we read just now, with great joy. With great joy. And now the question is, what was it that made them so happy? What was it that gave the disciples this joy? And I want to suggest three, thing, three things this morning, three reasons that the ascension of Jesus should be celebrated. So if you're taking notes, here's the first one. The cloud. The cloud. In verse 9, we read Acts chapter 1. It says, After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid them from their sight. So what is the significance of this? Are we just looking at like a weather report in Jerusalem? That's not what's happening. It's important for us to remember that the Bible is just one big story. And God ties his story and his revelation together in the most wonderful and beautiful way. We have to remember that God is invisible. Nobody has ever seen God, yet God wants to make himself and his presence known to his people. So, you might remember, if you're a Bible person, throughout the Old Testament period, what did God do? He gave certain visible symbols of his presence. And when God's people went into the desert, the visible symbols that he gave were a pillar of fire at night and a pillar of cloud by day. And also in the Old Testament, you might remember with uh, Solomon, when he built the temple, God wished to give his people an assurance of his real presence with him. You remember what happened? The cloud filled the temple, and the people knew the significance of it. And they immediately were able to make that connection and draw that conclusion that God is with us. This is the sign of the presence of God. So let's talk about Jesus now. When Christ went up the mountain, when he was transfigured, do you remember what happened? The cloud came down upon the mountain, and then the disciples fell on their faces because they knew that they were in the immediate presence of Almighty God. So there were countless intervals throughout the Bible where the presence of God was manifested by a cloud in which his presence was made known. So at the ascension now, Jesus is taken up, not simply into the sky, but into the cloud. In verse 9 that we just read, uh, if you shove that back in the original language, it literally reads, he was taken up and a cloud received him. He was received into the cloud. So Jesus came from the Father. The same Jesus Christ who has come from the Father is returning to the Father now. And having finished his work, he is received by the Father, represented in the cloud. I mean, the Bible is really a, a pretty amazing book. It's so profound that it exhausts the most brilliant mind, but at the same time, a simple, it's so simple that a young child could understand this. You could draw this in pictures if you really think about it. Here's the Old Testament story. The cloud represents the presence of God. Where the cloud is, God is. And then when Jesus ascends, where does he go? Up into the cloud. And so it, it makes you kind of think, oh, he's going into the presence of God. So notice also that the ascension is the initiation of God as well. Notice it says Christ was taken into the cloud. Taken. In other words, it is God who reaches down and snatches him up. Just as the Father sends Christ into the world, so the Father receives him out of the world. Just as the Father raised him up from the dead, so the Father receives him into his presence. 
And just think about the significance of Jesus returning into the presence of Almighty God. This is the first time since Adam was expelled from the garden that a man has been in the presence of God. I mean, just think about that. Let that sink in for a second. Jesus not only assumed our humanity on earth, but he has taken our humanity into heaven. The disciples look up and they see that there's a man in heaven. A man who is God, but a man nonetheless. For Christ can no more cease to be man than he can cease to be God. There's a man in heaven. Can you imagine his entrance? Just try to think about like the angels that have seen Adam expelled from the garden and now heaven erupts as a man is welcomed into the presence of God. And also, can you see the consequences of this? When Adam was thrown out of the presence of God, the result for all his children was alienation from God. Now Christ is welcomed into the presence of God, so the result for all his children will be acceptance. The first Adam led all of us out. The last Adam led all of us in. I mean, no wonder the apostles were so filled with joy as they went back to Jerusalem. And their Lord Jesus Christ is right there in the presence of the Father. The closed door has now been opened, and he's the first one in. And because he's there, his people will also be there. And so I want us to grasp something this morning. And if you're taking notes, maybe you might write this down in the margin somewhere. But I thought this was so helpful. It's far more important that Christ should be in heaven for us than he should continue to be on earth with us. Let me say that one more time. It's far more important that Christ should be in heaven for us than he should continue to be on earth with us. Think of it this way. Imagine you're in prison. It's a great thing to think about Sunday morning. But imagine you're in prison, and you're in there on a charge that carries a capital punishment. And so you think to yourself, you know what I need? I need a really good attorney. In fact, I need the best attorney that money can buy. So picture yourself in that prison cell. So you find yourself a good attorney, and you find out that not only is this person a good, skilled lawyer, but they're also a man of great compassion. And when they visit you in your cell, you find this conversation to be so comforting. Right? Oh man, this person's so compassionate. They're a really great lawyer, but they're also very compassionate as well. You can talk to him about the difficulties of life on the inside of the prison. The relationship that is established in the prison cell is obviously of great value to you. But the place that you most need this person is not in the cell. The place that you most need this person is in the court. However valuable that relationship is in the cell, at the end of the day, what you most need from this person is an able performance in the court. And if you can't, if this person cannot do this for you, then they cannot do the thing that you most need from them. Here's why I mention that. My greatest need and your greatest need as a sinner is not comfort on earth, but effective defense in the court of heaven. My first and greatest need is for a representative, a defense attorney. The Bible will use the word advocate, who will plead my case before Almighty God. When Jesus ascended into heaven, he went to the very place where we most need him to be. 
So again, it is far more important that Christ should represent us in heaven than he should be physically with us on earth. And we might find all sorts of ways of getting through life with remarkable success and great happiness, but what use would that be if we decorate ourselves, so to say, and we've found a way of enjoying it to the full, only to discover that on the last day when the case was brought, we had no effective defense. So the apostles were filled with great joy because they were able to get a hold of that. They were able to understand that the ascended Christ who had entered into heaven would be in such a position that he could, not, he could speak to the Father as, our, as their defense attorney on their behalf. And this is what the Apostle Paul is saying in Romans chapter 8, verse 34. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. So the, the disciples, they rejoiced because they knew that Jesus was right where they most needed him to be, at the right hand of the Father. You know, it makes me think of that uh, song that we sing from time to time, Before the Throne of God. It says, Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. A great high priest who named is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. I know while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and I see him there who made an end of all my sin. Because a sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. So let me ask you, if you're a follower of Christ this morning, aren't you so glad that today we are no longer faced with that question of what do we have to do to get right with God every time something goes wrong in our lives? What sacrifice to make? What offering do we need to bring? The Bible says in 1 John chapter 2, if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. The apostles were able to get a hold of that. They grasped that. That's why they preached it all throughout the book of Acts. And that's what we're going to see in the ensuing weeks to come. When they saw that Jesus was in the exact place that they needed him to be, they went back to Jerusalem with joy. The second reason the ascension of Jesus ought to be celebrated is because of the blessing. The blessing. Now, last impressions always make a really powerful impact on the mind. And anybody who's here who has lost a loved one knows that the last impression tends to linger. So, what was the last visual impression that the disciples had of Jesus before he returned to heaven? Well, if you had been there on the Mount of Olives, if you were kind of just a fly on the wall in that moment, right, what would be the last thing to stick in your mind? Well, we actually find that in Luke chapter 24, verse 50. It says, When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted his hands and he blessed them. So try to picture yourselves here if you can. You're in this group of people and Christ lifts up his hands over you and he begins to speak the blessing of God onto and into your life. Well, remember in the Old Testament, the blessing was incredibly important. Remember the story of Jacob. 
he was prepared even to deceive his father to get the blessing. Because the blessing wasn't just a few religious words. The blessing was a prophetic statement of what God would do in and through a person's life. When the blessing was pronounced by Isaac over Jacob, once it was given, it was irreversible and it couldn't be taken back. It couldn't be transferred to Esau instead. See, the Bible is trying to prepare our minds to understand some things that are important here. Here we find not just Isaac's blessing over Jacob, which is remarkable. That meant Jacob would be the line whom through God would further his purposes in the world. But here we have something even far greater. When Christ raises his hands over his disciples, he imparts his blessing to them. They're now going to be used throughout the earth. God's anointing is going to be upon them. So he's blessing them. His hands are raised. And then notice in verse 51, it says, while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. So imagine again, I'm here and Christ is speaking his blessing over me. And I look up and I see that he's still blessing and it's the last thing that you see as he's taken up into the cloud. You see the significance of that. He hadn't finished blessing them. His blessing is his unfinished work. And he's still doing it. The last glimpse they had of the Lord Jesus Christ as his hands were raised blessing them. And what is Jesus doing with regards to his people now? The answer is that he's continuing the work that he was doing when he left. The ascension speaks to us both of the completed work of Christ as well as the continuing work of Christ. The completed work of Christ is his work on the cross, and that's finished. And Jesus even said that from the cross. It is finished. It's over. It's complete. It doesn't need to be repeated, and nothing can be added to it. But there's also the work of Christ that continues from heaven, the unfinished work of Christ to bless his people. And it goes on and, and it will go on until Jesus returns. When you look up in your mind by faith and think about Jesus Christ, what do you think he's doing? He's always interceding for us that the blessing of God may flow to us in every circumstance of our lives. So the disciples go back to Jerusalem with joy because they know that Christ is right where they need him to be and that they're living under the continued blessing of God. And then thirdly, the third reason that the ascension of Jesus ought to be celebrated is because of the promise. Because of the promise. And the promise comes in two parts in Acts chapter 1. Notice in verses 4 and 5, it says this, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water... But in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So Christ is ascending to heaven, but now his presence would be with them by the Holy Spirit. The presence of Jesus will no longer be a visible presence to you, but it will be a real presence by the Holy Spirit. Just as Jesus, or just as real as if you could see him. The fact that Christ's presence isn't with us physically but by the Holy Spirit, gives us a great advantage as the church. 
He could be with everyone at every place at every time. But that simply just wasn't possible while Jesus was with us on earth. There was a lot of occasions where the apostles found themselves apart from Christ. I'll give you some examples. Remember when they were on the lake and a storm came and Jesus was on the land on one occasion? Remember when Mary and Martha, their uh, brother Lazarus, died and Jesus wasn't there? Remember when Jesus was on the Mount to Transfiguration and there was nine disciples at the bottom of the mountain faced with a demon-possessed boy praying their hearts out, not being able to do anything about it? Jesus Christ taking on human flesh in his earthly life was present in one place at one time. But now, he's telling his disciples, notice what he says, verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That means this. The disciples, they're going to be serving Christ all over the planet. And this is exactly what Jesus meant when he said in John chapter 16, verse 7, It is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the Advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So as Christ ascends, he's in the place that we need him to be, He's continuing to bless us from heaven, and he will send the Holy Spirit just a few days after Pentecost so that the presence of God may, be truly, uh, may truly be with every Christian in every circumstance wherever you go. So are you beginning to see why the ascension is such a celebration? And then, of course, there was one more promise with which we will close. In verse 11, Luke records this. Someone says, men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. So what's Luke talking about here? Well, this is the promise of God for every Christian believer that just as Jesus was snatched up into a cloud, so when he comes in glory, we will be snatched up into his presence. The ascension is the model for the rapture of the church. What happened to Jesus in his ascension will happen to us when he comes in glory. I mean, no wonder the disciples were so filled with joy as they went back to Jerusalem. Because look what the future holds for them. Look what the future holds for us, those of us that place our hope and faith in Christ. And you might be tempted to think to yourselves or say, well, Clark, they died a long time ago. Well, the Bible makes it abundantly clear that no Christian will miss out on this. For when Christ returns, the dead in Christ will rise first, and those of us who are still alive will be caught up with them to meet him in the air. So the bottom line is this. The citizens of God's kingdom are called out to join the king in preparation for his triumphal entry at the close of history which we read about in Revelation chapter 1, verse 7, the Apostle John says, Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. So God's presence 
has come at the end of time, and every eye seeing, all his people with him, caught up in the splendor, the glory of it all. And they, the disciples, went back to Jerusalem with joy. Now, over the next few years, as we're going to see throughout this series in Acts, they will face all sorts of difficulties as they fully embrace this call to be a witness for Christ, which is our call as well. From persecution to opposition, but the hearts of these disciples were full of joy because they knew that Christ was exactly where they needed him to be, that they lived under the blessing of the sovereign king, and that the promise of the Holy Spirit was with them in every deed and in every circumstance, and that their ultimate destiny was to share in what they had just seen and to be caught up in the very presence of Christ and to be with him forever. And there isn't one of us who knows what is going to happen this week. And some of us might even feel really burdened by what we're in the middle of right now. But if, we were, if we're able to grasp what the disciples were able to get a hold of and understand in this passage, then we also will be able to experience that kind of joy as well. So I want to invite the band up at this time, and let me just close by saying this. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, and I understand maybe not everyone here watching online would, would make that claim on their life, but if you would say, yes, I follow Jesus, I'm a Christian, let me just say a couple things here. Your Savior is exactly where you need Him to be. Whatever difficulties and circumstances that you're going through right now, He lives so that you'll continue to know the blessing of God in it. The Holy Spirit is with you. It's not just that Christ is in the court. God's presence is with you in the cell. And your ultimate destiny is to be with him and to tell others about him. Let me pray. Lord, we thank you so much for not only, for not only coming to this world and putting skin on and becoming a man and living a perfect life, Lord, and not only for your crucifixion in which you pay for the penalty for the sins of the world, and, and not even just the resurrection where you conquer Satan, sin, and death, but Lord, we also thank you for the ascension, something that we oftentimes do not think about, God, for obvious reasons, because it just, it would seem so, you know, our natural proclivity is just to think that to be with you face to face, you know, to be able to talk to you, Jesus, it just seems so much more practical than the sending of your Holy Spirit, God, but Scripture tells us otherwise. And Lord, we know that you're exactly where we need you to be. God, we need a representative for those of us who would recognize that we're, we're sinners. God, we're sinners in need of your grace. And so, so you're right where we need you to be. You're representing us. You're our advocate. And Lord, we just thank you so much for that, God. Thank you for a reminder of that today in your word. And Lord, as the band plays, I just pray for, for those of us that are followers of Christ, Lord, that we would reaffirm our belief that, that you're doing that right now at the right hand of God. You're interceding on our behalf. And Lord, for those of us that are still kind of wrestling with who Jesus is, you know, is this, you know, is, is Jesus someone that I'm actually taking seriously? Is this message resonating with me today? You know, God, I, I pray that we would ask ourselves the hard questions, God. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Ritman Grace Podcast. If you have questions or would like to know more about our church, please visit www.ritmangrace.org or email us at ritmangbc at aol.com.